Hi there, everyone. Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And today I'm joined by Jeremy Bailey, who's the Creative Director for Product at FreshBooks. Jeremy, how are you today? Good. How are you? Thanks, Anthony. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Really appreciate you joining us. Um, I know you guys have been really busy for the past little while, uh, launching some cool stuff. But before we get started into that, why don't you tell everybody a bit about yourself and your background and what makes you awesome? Yeah. Um... I'll, yeah, I'll reserve the awesome judgment for 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 you, whether you think it's I'm awesome or not. But I'm creative director at FreshBooks, which means I um, I lead uh, and inspire and manage our design team and practices here. Um, and then I also work uh, as a as an artist part time, which I think uh, you were commenting on my Twitter profile. So if anyone visits my Twitter profile, you'll see I don't look like your typical creative director. And that's because for the last, I don't know, 15 or so years, 10 or 15 years, I've acted as this famous new media artist online. So I have a mixed life as a quote-unquote self-proclaimed famous new media artist, and that's a satirical title, and creative director at FreshBooks. Um, but surprisingly, there are many similarities <laughs> between these two roles in a lot of ways. Well, it's funny. I was thinking, like, as you were saying, that you are self-proclaimed. I'm like, well, that's a strategy in itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there's an SEO strategy there, which is if you type famous new media art or new media artist into Google, my, I get the whole first page. because I, And I've been very consistent about this for like a decade. So it does pay off to be consistent around your brand. Uh, so There we go. Awesome. Okay, well, I guess that's a, a good segue into, I mean, I know FreshBooks because I've been a user for a little while. Why don't you give us like a quick blurb about FreshBooks? What what it does, and then you just release new fresh books. So I don't know how deep we can get into like the strategy and the process of that launching. That might be a whole other conversation, but just tell us a bit about fresh books before we get going. Yeah. So fresh books, um, the best way to put it is if you hate accounting, you know, if you're running a business because you have a passion uh, and not because you like to do your paperwork, we're kind of here to, to, to help you out. Um, and so we're an accounting platform or software that's available you know across all your devices but we're really focused on getting out of your way um, and making it really easy to do this thing that we know a lot of people uh, kind of consider a headache uh, which is what pro most you know software products aim to do take a pain in the world and try and make it uh, better and so we know a lot of people with a lot of pain just in regards to their uh, accounting and simple accounting quite often, uh, for most people who we serve, who are usually freelancers or small business owners, um, is you know a lot of it is around getting paid, so billing um, and simple expense tracking and things like that. Excellent. And and what I think is cool about the product, and I'm also a user, um, is that I mean you've been with the company almost seven years now. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So you've definitely seen the evolution of of product and and been through different stages of of that product uh, our director creative director and then now more focused on the product side or i'm sure some yeah. overlap within that yeah i joined about seven years ago and there were about 30 employees at the time and since grown to 300 it's really not about the number of employees because that just allows you to do more stuff and i always feel like there's way more we could be doing it's the hardest part of the job um, but also have like built up the team and all the processes and learned to become a pretty good manager i think um, though there's always more to learn and that's a big part of my philosophy for management and for running a team it's really about learning uh constantly so yeah i've learned a lot and there's i've i one thing i always say is like Every time you get to a peak, it's like you can see the next mountain peak just ahead. And so the more I learn, the more I realize I need to learn. 
And I think the team sort of has that attitude as well. Um, so we're, we're growing and learning and we have really amazing customers, people like you, who are kind of have the similar mindset, I think, quite often. That's awesome. Well, I mean, for those of you out there that are still looking to learn and grow and expand, I will shamelessly plug. Please subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and Jeremy also has a podcast. We can talk about that one later, too. Um, so on the subject of management and leading strategy, you've been at the heart of an organization that at 30 people has its own challenges and, you know, 100, 200, 300 people all dealing with different things, but arguably same approaches. So what would you say are your like two to three best practices for leading strategy? Yeah. Okay. So two to three, it'll be hard to narrow down to two to three. Maybe it's only one I start and then we, we kind of dig in, but um, so I would say for design. So I, you know, I lead as a designer, right. First and foremost, or from a design perspective. So this might not be, you know, the way you'd want to do it. If you're, uh, if your company is oriented a different way, FreshBooks happens to be, very customer centric. Um, so like when I joined the company at first, I thought, is this like a cult? <laughs> but like people, the CEO and the people here, they were just like so emphatic about spending time with customers, getting to know them. And so our strategy kind of starts there as well. Um, and all of the design processes I've built are about spending more time with the customer, getting to know their needs, because the biggest strategic mistake I've seen in my life before, and even when we're off track here at FreshBooks, is when we don't um, really include the customer's voice and we start to rely on our own opinions, you know, kind of like rest on our success or our opinion about what we think will be the right thing. And quite often your assumption about what you think is right is wrong. Um, and so a lot of what I would consider strategy is mitigating those false assumptions, those risky assumptions. And the best way to mitigate them is really just to go get out of your out of your comfort zone, get out of the building, spend time with customers, and then also bring customers into the building. We do that in a number of ways uh, here um, and include them in the process of designing your product or your strategy. Cool. Okay. So I get that like the underpinning part of your business strategy is like really making sure that you understand who your core customer is, what their needs are, and, and really being uh, attached to your mission, in, in other words. Is that correct? Yeah. So the mission wasn't like invented out of thin air, <laughs> like in nor is our brand or any other anything else that comes out of this company. It is all a reflection of the customer. And, you know, that can sometimes be difficult, right? Because you have different customers with different priorities. And so we've done our best um, wherever possible to focus on a specific customer. That's another strategic error I think a lot of um, companies make is they try and be all things to all people. Um, but good strategy is choosing your customer and then really, you know, going after them and doing, you know, doing things for them that, that are really quite specific to their needs. And I think, um, you know, that's a challenge, especially as you get into consumer software and, the, the spectrum or segment, uh, whoever you consider your customer segment might grow, you still need to serve, you know, the original kind of early adopter customer, and then maybe a, you know, a new customer segment comes along, and you don't want, you know, sometimes you add features that hurt another, you know, customer segment. Anyway, all of that stuff ends up becoming more and more challenging. You certainly don't want to start out, though, trying to make to be the next Instagram. It's just, it's really hard to do that. I don't know if, uh, if you've talked to anyone in that, in that space, but, um, yeah, so we started out with creative professionals. I'll, I'll put it that way. And then we expanded that to include, I think, consultants and marketing professionals like yourself. 
And then more recently, we've started to see like, you know, by accident, people in the trades uh, kind of industry starting to use our product, legal professionals. Um, but, it, you know, we always remind ourselves that, hey, we are first and foremost, we, we built um, the product on this, you know, for this specific customer. And then we've modified things to allow more and more people to use the product. I hope that that kind of answers the question. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to really put myself in your shoes and then understand your process. So maybe we'll, we'll take this just a slightly yeah. different way is that I get that you guys are customer focused and customer centric, which is obviously yeah. the core of like a successful strategy. How do you then as an organization or you personally translate mm -hmm. that strategy and direction to your people? Oh, okay. I see. So yeah, that's a really interesting question. So one, yeah, process is actually a big part of that. You mentioned uh, process at the outset. And the process that we use for design is really a bottom-up process. So I mean, one of the things that I've worked over the last uh, seven years to do is to get out of the, uh, you know, I can do everything heroes game, uh, where, you know, I might hire a team of independent contributors who work in silos and are just like heroic figures. Um, and that was why I was hired here, right? Like I was hired here as an art director to like fix everything. <laughs> and, you, and I could do a little bit of everything, but I realized that's not really very scalable. And so as we grew, I had to investigate processes for distributing decision-making and making decision-making and strategy happen from the bottom up instead of from the top down. And one of the ways we do that uh, at FreshBooks is we use um, what I think a lot of other startups might use, but we use it as a mature company as well, but our lean or, or lean startup methods. Um, specifically, uh, there's a great book I can recommend that really rev has revolutionized, I think, and refined a lot of the way we work, which is, it's a kind of an old classic now, but it's Ash Marai's Running Lean. And it's a book, the book that came out after Lean Startup. Uh, hopefully people have read Eric Reese's Lean Startup. If you haven't, it's a great book as well around efficiencies and strategy and management. Um, and basically the premise is, you know, the individual contributors are in contact with customers, but they're always uh, contacting them with a hypothesis, right? So when I said include the customer, it's no, it's no good just to have a customer come in and tell you what to do. What you really want to do is write down your assumption about how you think they're behaving or what you think they need, write that as a hypothesis, and then design a test or a scenario in which, um, and that can be an interview. There's There are ways to do that and get very more, much more specific if you'd like, but uh, a test in which you can validate those assumptions. But like I said at the outset, a lot of times we just go ahead with the assumptions and build those things in software. And that's a very expensive way to, uh, to, de to develop a strategy, right? Like find out if you're right after you've spent $10 million. Not a good idea. Uh, so the cheapest time to validate your strategy is when you just have an assumption, uh, you, you know, what you think, who you think the customer might be and who you think, what you think the problem might be. And so our designers, um, for example, would just call up some customers or go visit them at their offices and talk to them about, Hey, we think these are your problems. Um, and they would do what we call a problem interview here, uh, as a first step. And they would, I, they would find out, hey, is this the right customer? And do they have the problems we have? And usually they're wrong, actually. Uh, usually we send them out into the field or um, they come back and they're like, actually, yeah, this was right, but these two other things were wrong. And, and actually the customer that responded the best is actually not someone we originally identified. It's this other person. And anyway, so there's a lot of that. And so the strategy emerges over time. I guess that's why, what I'm trying to get at, which is we progress through stages and you know confidence is, increases over time. So we don't come out with um, 
a refined strategy or work behind closed doors on a, on a refined strategy. We kind of build up a strategy over time, but we might know roughly here's a market opportunity and let's go investigate that. And then within that market opportunity, a strategy would emerge through this process of uh, negotiation with our customers. Cool. So I hear a few things in that and one that's like going back to the assumption, but I think most interestingly of that is the bottom up approach to strategy. So we, we advocate sort of top down as in like you have the leaders of the company create yeah. the strategy in a way, send it back down to the frontline employees to sort of get their feedback on it and then send mm -hmm. it back up. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. And then in addition, you empower all of your employees because I wouldn't necessarily think right. of a designer traditionally to be on the phone with a customer. Like you would just like lock them in a room and they can start coding. Um, but it sounds like that's not your approach to thing. You really make sure that your employees are involved in all parts of the business. And am I understanding that correctly? That's right. So the designer um, is responsible for a lean canvas, which is like a business model canvas. Um, and their responsibility is to validate every aspect of that business model. Um, and that also includes the user experience, which is where you would typically find design. Uh, but before they do that, they need to validate the customer, the problem, um, they need to validate the solution, the what, con what comprises the whole solution in relationship with existing alternatives. The user experience is like is a small part of that that comes at the end. So I would say like 80% of their time, they're working on validating assumptions and then 20% of the time on actual design work, like the way you'd classically consider it visual design. I'll also say they're working alongside a product owner who has more of a business background uh, and more of a strategic thinking background. Um, and they're both kind of tag teaming on that work typically, and they're working alongside myself, the director of product, um, and our CTO and CEO are checking in from time to time. Um, so, but they're, they're out there doing the work. Yeah. We're very much, uh, making sure that they're the ones in contact with the customer, because I guess in an average year, we talk to about 2000 customers now. So there's no way I can talk to 2000 customers. Uh, and I, in the number of features that we might be working on are, are aspects of our product, um, is in the dozens. Uh, so every week, uh, we're getting, you know, between 10 and 15 hypotheses out into the world. Um, you know, and companies like Facebook, of course, are like testing hundreds of assumptions all the time. So as a 300 person company, you know, I'd say we're, we're testing dozens at any one time, but that's um, that's kind of that's kind of what I mean by bottom up, I guess. Okay, so I'm definitely going to ask you about how you manage those assumptions in the scope of strategic priorities. So everybody, yeah. hold, hold your breath. Um, <laughs> but um, so let's let's go move on to like the culture. So I got that you have you know this culture of collaboration. You have the culture of ownership. Um, you have the culture of like being people first, and then you just have the culture that like is represented in your brand, like that sort of like creative professional, like you guys mm -hmm. like for us, by us sort of thing. Um, yeah. uh, that's shout out to FUBU, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, but can you like, tell me like, what are the things as a leader that you do on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis to cultivate that? And when I ask, it's like really on the court that our listeners could say, Oh, I can do that with my team because I want to be, I want yeah, to yeah, develop yeah. our culture. So. Well, there was like a book that had a big impact on me. There's been several, but one that I refer to quite often is Daniel Pink has this book um, in regards to sort of, um, uh, it's called Drive and it's about motivation. And I, you know, I've read other books on management that are, that are all, that also kind of like echo this, but I, I really like his 
uh, principles that there are three kind of uh, three 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 things that motivate people, and one of them is uh, mastery or craft. Like if someone's good at something, you got to let them do it. <laughs> you know, like quite often you'll hire someone and you'll tell them how to do their job, and every time I've seen that happen, it's like uh, a recipe for like demotivation. Mm -hmm. um, right, because that person now has no value. Uh, the second thing is um, autonomy. And so you really want to, you know, it's kind of similar to the mastery piece, but autonomy is giving a person the space to, to, to you know, to, to practice their craft and to make decisions. And that's what I mean when I said like bottom up strategy to, to know and to learn, you know, how to make a decision so that we can scale decision making. And so to give them frameworks to do that, that's something that I would do. So I would, I have. I've given the team many frameworks for structured decision-making so that they can take a little bit of the guesswork out of it. But it's also important to build that muscle around critical thinking, right? Critical thinking and, you know, is, it, is, is absolutely necessary in a world where uncertainty is increasingly the norm, right? In an age of accelerationism, as Thomas Friedman would say, it's like when everything's going faster, the person that was right yesterday is potentially wrong tomorrow and they need to be in a position to challenge their assumptions and, and think critically. And then finally, and I think you hinted at this earlier, it's so important, and this is really where the, the, the most top-down thing can come from, is on, on the third vector, which is purpose. And so, you know, usually a company has a, you know, the mission statement does that. But on a team level, you can give your team a sense of purpose by, by simply having a set of values you work by and a, and a goal that you, you know, that you aspire to have the team develop towards. So one that, that I have been public about on my team was like, I want us to have an inclusive and diverse team. I want us to be one of the leading design teams in Canada. And I want us to produce a product we're proud of and that our customers um, are inspired to use, right? And so by, by making that like part of the DNA of the team and that's how, how we hold ourselves accountable, every member of the team is also motivated. So it's autonomy, mastery, um, and purpose that I think are the three things you would want to inject into any team. And that's based on, you know, a foundation of peer learning, respect, um, you know, looking out for one another. There's a whole bunch of other, you know, things you can do to nurture each of those three pillars. But I consider those the three pillars of, uh, of, of inspiring a team. Awesome. Um, and, and by that, I mean, it inspires awe. Um, so when we talk about the, those things, the peer learning, the respect, the inclusiveness, um, like it sounds like are those hard and set communicated values across the organization? Is mm -hmm. that just what people embody, like they just embody it naturally through your hiring process? Because yeah. you look at culture change and if you didn't start off with, let's say the startup culture, because that's one of the things that drives the success of these, you know, these organizations, these lean startups, literally and metaphorically, is they start with the culture and that really drives performance. But within an organization that might not be so culture focused from day one, um, you know, what's the, what's the benefit of doing that or what's the payoff that you'll get from focusing on culture for a while? Yeah. I mean, so culture is really huge at FreshBooks and, uh, the, I think, you know, I'll just give you an example though. Just, just like say, yeah, we have the values, right? Like and every company should have values. I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, but then one thing we do to kind of, you know, if you will indoctrinate people into this like customer first mindset, is we spend the first month, each of us on customer service. So everyone, whether you're the CEO or CTO that's come in brand new, has to spend your first month on customer support. Um, that means picking up the phones, answering emails, but really kind of gets your ego in check that we're all on the same team here. 
We all have one goal, which is to help our customer by literally putting you in that position where helping the customer is your only job. You're not allowed to do anything during that else during that first month. We kind of, you know, kind of we set up this mindset, right? And it's the culture is useless if it doesn't help you achieve your goal. So, I mean, there are poisonous cultures that, you know, somehow lead to, <laughs> to achieving a goal. I'm not sure how Uber or Amazon does it, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but at FreshBooks, uh, what we found is when people are passionate about doing the right thing for the customer, about helping the customer, they tend to go out and make the right decisions like day to day, right? So when they're in a, a situation where they're not sure what decision to make, they err on the side of like, well, what would, the, what would be right for the customer? Um, instead of what would be right for me or for our bottom line or wherever. Um, and, th and that's just the compass. And so it'll, what it does is from a strategy standpoint, I think, and an efficiency stra uh, standpoint, is it just, it just makes things much more efficient because people can make the right decision more often. We're all sort of heading in the same direction. We have other tools to help people make the right decision, but I would say that's one of the, that's the primary tool. Yeah, and uh, going to the autonomy piece, it's uh, when we work with teams on their values in their strategic planning sessions, the, the benefit of having values is that it really sets from the outset the behaviors that are acceptable. Yeah. If, you, if you do this, we'll be happy with you. Like you know that you will be successful yeah. and supported if you act in XYZ way. And, and you said it like very clearly that you know, employees are empowered to do things that are in line with, with being yeah. customer centric. No doubt. Like it's like we've all been in an organization where it's like we were anxious about the decisions we were making, even though we thought we were kind of good at our job. Like every week we were there, we felt a little less good about what we were doing and we were a little more anxious about the decisions we were making. And that's sort of an exercise in, in paralysis or, you know, kind of um, a, a form of analysis paralysis, but that's like you know, uh, relative to your own identity and ability to make change in an organization. But if you have to second guess every decision, that's just not very efficient. And it's not going to have us all going in the, in the same direction. So absolutely. And do you have like a formal or informal system for, for feedback loops for that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I think on the design team, I can speak to that. Um, and the way we, uh, design feedback is like I said, peer based. And so we have, we actually meet twice uh, at least twice a week. Well, we meet twice a week as a whole kind of design organization. We're actually, uh, we're split two ways. So we have we have two kind of, the, the company's set up as two lines of business, but each line of business anyway meets uh, all the designers and all the product owners together for a kind of peer review or critique um, twice a week. And in and, and doing that, I mean, that's a, a kind of a, maybe it's not a feedback loop on behavior, but it's a feedback loop that we use to emphasize like, hey, like we're doing this, we're building things together, right? And so the micro feedback loops happen all the time throughout the week where by bringing people together and showing them that they're all working on the same project, um, they're also like, you know, hooking up throughout the week on their individual projects. And uh, then of course I meet with them one-on-one -on -one if you're talking about like literal management feedback loops. Um, uh, on, on a weekly basis. So one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I'm helping them develop their careers or talking through difficult situations that they might be in. It's kind of like brass tacks um, management though. Yeah, but I mean, it all can, it all contributes to it. And that's the thing where some people will say like, oh, this is our level of community. I think it, among other things, contributes to communication. The more communication you have, yeah. the, the more empowered your employees are, the more that you are as a leader understanding what's going on in your own roof. And it's just less ambiguity and going back no assuming like you know what's happening not because you yeah. know you're you're looking over the employee's shoulder it's that you're you're in the conversation all the time and checking the yeah. pulse 
I will say one huge thing that I didn't recognize until maybe like a, a year or so ago um, was that I felt like I had to run all of the meetings and all the processes. And the biggest change that I've made that I've seen unlock the most potential in my team is to take the whole organization and assign leadership across each uh, across each designer. So each designer is leading an initiative that benefits the whole design organization. Um, on a, and so and they get to choose, and we we develop that focus based on their skills and their aspirations, aspirations, career aspirations. <clears throat> Excuse me, but that's really that's really triggered some motivation that I didn't expect to see. I didn't expect to see um, that they would, you know, they, they would want to take on that additional work, uh, but they do. So self-management in that regard, um, like team health and hygiene is now managed by the team itself, uh, which I really, I, I've been really pleased to see uh, have, have an impact. So for those of you that have dirty kitchens in your office, here's a way to... Uh... <laughs> to, to, to address that one. And I think it well, goes into, it, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to say, I mean, it's definitely not dirty kitchen stuff. It's like, it's really big stuff that I would normally hog selfishly for myself, right? Like the stuff I most want to work on, but I realized that like, it would be much more efficient if, if I really want to work on something, if I helped someone else work on it well, um, that would be me, I'd be doing my job a little bit better and we could do a lot more. And so we are doing a lot more by doing that. That's awesome. And it's that the autonomy piece, like people want to be, they want to buy in and are, yeah. yeah, having a job that's worth coming to. Exactly. Exactly. They can make an impact, right? There's nothing more important, at least to designers. I'd be surprised to hear if it was true of anyone else where they don't want to like make something happen, like, you know, leave something better than they found it. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, why, why would you want anything else? But I mean, that you can, depending yeah, no on. One can, no one comes into an organization being like, how can I ruin this place? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe somewhere. I don't know. Wrong hiring practices, but cool. Yeah, okay. that's right. Well, maybe th this is a, a perfect segue. Um, what are some risks to avoid in the planning process? So don't hire people that want to destroy, to burn the house down, but anything mm -hmm. else that you're like, oh man, like I wish I had known that before or like just don't do this. It doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, in regards to what I said regarding autonomy, I think knowing when to tell and when to ask is really important in the, you know, given the experience level of your report, right? So um, quite often, like, you know, I said, like, give them this huge responsibility, but like, don't just give it to them and, and, <laughs> and not provide any instruction on how to do it. If they don't have knowledge, it's really efficient to just tell them. But then knowing when they have enough knowledge that you can begin to ask them questions and get them thinking about how they can improve it. But that distinction, I think, is important because quite often I've made the mistake of giving a junior uh, person a little bit too much responsibility. And then they're afraid to ask when they're in that position, right? They're not yet at the critical thinking stage. And so being coaching them hands-on at that time and telling them and providing really closed feedback loops. You mentioned feedback earlier, and I forgot to say it's like feedbacks in one-on-ones are okay, but really the best kind of feedback happens uh, continuously in real time. So like right after a meeting or in conversation, um, did you think about this? Oh, I once did it like that, right? Think about a sports team, right? The best coaching happens just after the you know person gets off the field. Um, it doesn't happen like two days later or a month later. And in that moment, they're primed for like, how did I do coach, right? It's like, oh, well, you could have done this, you could have done this, but you really did this well, right? And you want to always want to have a sort of a five, I think it's like a five to one ratio. I was always taught positive to negative feedback. Um, anyway, I'm kind of like devolving into my minutia, but um, 
yeah, that, that, that kind of feedback in real time, making sure you're not just not just asking people how should we do this when they're not ready for it. Um, so just to contradict my autonomy piece, but also giving them the knowledge they need uh, to accelerate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's no there's no one right way. It's like you know, there's just whatever works for you. But so if I heard what you said was yeah. as a risk, don't wait for your like three month, six month, twelve month review to dump on somebody all the stuff they could have done better. Tell them yeah. immediately so they can actually do something about it. And it impacts everybody, the organization, you and the employee itself, whose like life is at stake, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you you said it much better than me. Basically, yeah, like make that that feedback continuous. Make them make make yourself their partner, right? Like I, my favorite expression I think someone shared with me once is like, if they have a problem, it's their problem. But as soon as they share it with you, it's our problem. And I think as long as I'm a, a manager, a leader, making sure that I'm an ally rather than an adversary uh, and uh, yeah, like an enemy or whatever. Adversary, uh, yeah. Adversary, yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is super, is super uh, important, at least in my experience, um, because then people come to me earlier with their problems and. Uh, and I have better awareness about what you know the overall health of the team is, and I can actually take action and adjust. Right? There's no surprises aren't good on either side. No, and I imagine it helps a few ways. Like one, it helps from a leadership perspective. You know, your CEO or whoever else is on the team. You know, they have layers of management that are empowered to do something about it instead of just like having to send it up the wire. And then the CEO is the last one to know, and then you have a bunch of unhappy people. And then, moreover, yeah. I'm sure it's helped your retention and attraction of of talent because they have all of your employees are out there like spreading the good word. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say we have really, we have really solid retention somewhere around 90% for the design team, um, on a year over year. And so we might lose a person every year, but we're, you know, and we're always attracting, uh, great people. So I, yeah, I do think it, it works out. And I think I have high awareness, um, and the CEO certainly it matters to him. I, that's, I learned these lessons from him. I think he has this expression, which is, you know, you take care of the team and the team takes care of the customer and the customer takes care of your business, right? Um, but really, it starts with taking care of your team if you want to, you know, that's successful strategy right there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's real benefits of it, like financial benefits. It's not just you know, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the booklet. It's like, yeah, I know we're going to save ourselves a hundred grand or whatever per person just because they're not going to quit or they're not going to burn the house down. So, um Awesome. Anything else that you want to speak to on that uh, about either culture or risks or, I mean, we can move into the next one, strategy and performance. But really, you know, everything we've been talking about is strategy and performance. So, mm -hmm. No, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd add anything. There's, I mean, because like I started to get into the minutia, I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of things you can do. But the one thing you mentioned, I think, um, is that context and the individual matter. There's no one right way. Um, and that's one thing I learned, uh, you know, along the way. And also I've read numerous times and it's just absolutely true is that like it's and it's true about product design, too. But it's just like universal truth is that like humans are unique. It's kind of like the Care Bears were right or something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to take care of the individual first and foremost. Um, and everyone it matters and has their little idiosyncratic kind of behaviors and to motivate them, you really have to get to know people um, and care about them. And I may be guilty of investing uh, too much emotion in each person, but I find it comes back to me in, in the form of like a place I really want to work with people. I really enjoy being around. Um, 
and who are challenging me as much as I'm challenging them. Yeah, no, that sounds like you know a really great environment. Um, do you do you have a couple of minutes? A couple more minutes? I don't. I know. I, I want to be mindful of your time, but do you have a sure? Sure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, going back to that, like each individual person piece. It's that everybody has their own like perspectives, backgrounds, and whatever on what they think is right. And, and as a leader, I imagine it must develop you and, and really give you opportunities to develop when you focus on each person instead of like sending an email blast. It's like, how are you doing today? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, t- I'm totally bad at email and like Slack. And like, I'll show you my, if I showed you my phone, it's like a sea of red. But what I am good at is walking over to a person's desk, inviting them out for coffee, sitting down with them, uh, you know, for a little while, going on a walk. I, I started doing a lot of my one-on-ones as like a walk, you know, based on this like psychological research that like people are less confrontational when they are standing beside you walking and scanning a horizon. Like there's all kinds of like calming uh, principles there that, that really work. <laughs> um, and so it's like, I don't know. It's it's kind of common sense, but and I've always worked against this like I don't know institutional kind of like business mindset that business is different from life because I I haven't I just haven't found that. Maybe that's where my life as an artist has taught me a lot, um, which is like when you're creatively motivated, when you're like excited to come into work and you like your peers and they're pushing you that it kind of, you know, things kind of start to go right. And it's not about the gossip and Susie and finance and this and like all this weird stuff, these cliches from the, it seems like the 1980s now or something like that. But uh, business is really, I don't know, maybe I I just feel like that's where I want to work and that's the place I've created. And it's really just about creating a peer group. It's um, closer to maybe a university or something, except there's a business outcome that we're really accountable to and that we care about. Um, Yeah, I don't know. No secret, no secret recipe here. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think it's just like you got to be honest and integrous with everything that you do, and you know, if we look it's at like our, be a good person, right? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the the next book I'm writing. Be a good person. It's gonna be very short. It's about a page long. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, if you think about it, when we talk about like work life, and I don't mean like work life with a slash, like I mean like the line that goes in the middle, because they're mm-hmm. equal and the same. We spend eight hours sleeping, eight hours at work, and eight hours not at work. Yeah. You, like almost the exact amount of time. So wouldn't you want to like both be and, and be responsible for creating an environment that you want to spend a third of your way, like a third of your life and half of your waking life in? Yeah, exactly. And the best expression I've heard, actually, instead of work-life balance, we should talk talk more about work-life integration, right? Like, how do you integrate the two in a way where your work is actually, you know, like pushing your life forward um, is like, is part of the richness of your life, right? You don't want to end up on your last day, deathbed, (laughs) thinking, God, like, I could have spent less time in that horrible place. Um, So, yeah, I think the way we hire and the way we nurture here what I'm trying to do anyway, and you know, we're not all the way there. It's create a place where you're living your life while you're doing the work you love. Boom. So if you don't want to regret on your deathbed, go work at Fresh Post. <laughs> that's like that's, my sales. That, that's that's the moral of the story right there. Excellent. Um, it's not a sponsored uh, podcast, by the way, everybody. But that's, I'll <laughs> yeah. take it. Um, cool. So, uh, Jeremy, one final question. I mean, and this will probably go off the rails on this one. Um, is there anything else that you would recommend to a CEO or a manager that's responsible for leading people and leading a strategy? 
Yeah, it's. I mean, really, it's like I, I think this the term CEO itis is really that like get it like meddling too much. Like the the feeling that you uh, you could if only you were involved, you could push people could get to the right decision faster. I think it's really tempting, and I've I've been tempted by this as a director as well. Um, you know, feeling like I could just if I could just show them if I could just uh, push them to do this thing right. They need me. Um, and that, that's how we equate our value as managers and executives is like, because we're not creating anything physical, we feel like, you know, our value is wrapped up in how fast we can get per, a person to the right answer. But I think um, it's really important to give people a place and create an environment where they can get to the wrong answer and not be punished, but but be advised, you know, where they can say like, hey, I, I thought it was going to be like this and I was wrong. And, and the recognition that I was wrong led me to the right place. And I didn't need to take, you didn't need to give me that shortcut. So I would just say like, hey, like, just like get out of the kitchen. <laughs> um, be there when you're needed, right? Be available. Um, create an environment where people are coming to you with their questions rather than you come, you know, coming down and enforcing the rule of law. I used to be an art director. So policing was like what I did for a living. Like, oh, this is not on the guidelines. <laughs> you know, this is off brand. Um, and that was like not, a, it, it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible way to make things, uh, to, to make a, a life for myself. And also the teams were never motivated that I was working on. And so I've learned over time that if I can create an environment where people come to me with a question, it's much more valuable than me just telling them what to do. That's, that's awesome. So definitely something to take away. And on the art direction piece, I think that in French, font is police. Is it? I think that's the same word. So I, I have a... If it isn't, I like it. I, even if it isn't, I'm going to... Okay, you can just tell it. No, I'm going to have to Google that after here. So yeah. um, awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, is there? How can people get a hold of you and how can people uh, check out FreshBooks? Um, you can get a hold of me on Twitter, I think, at Jeremy Bailey, and check out FreshBooks at FreshBooks.com. And I would say, if you don't like it, I'm really excited to hear from you. If you love it, I'm excited to hear from you too. I'll put you in touch with the designer. We have uh, customers here in the office all the time, and we're really excited to hear from you. Uh, try it out. Let us know what you think. Awesome. And if you get some new uh, new directors on board, then who knows, they might be the one uh, fielding your customer service uh, questions, queries. Well, that's that. right. So, we're, yeah, we're going to have a designer on customer service next month. So yeah, <laughs> definitely call in. We'll pick up on the first ring. That's one of our policies. So There you go. I love that. Awesome. So uh, I've been speaking with Jeremy Bailey, who's the creative director for product at FreshBooks. Jeremy, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Anthony.